Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Midway USA brand product designers have one straightforward goal. Develop high-quality, technically sound products and deliver them to customers at reasonable prices. If you are immersed in the shooting sports industry and pay close attention to every single detail, you know our products are built right and stand up to everyday use. Who has shooting mats and range bag systems to hunting clothing and just about everything for the outdoors? Log on and shop 24-7 with super fast shipping. MidwayUSA.com Welcome to Season 4, Episode 88 of the North American Outdoors Podcast. My name is Heidi Rayo, and I'm coming to you from the great state of Texas. No matter which side of conservation you are on, we need to talk about wildlife conservation and how we as hunters pay for our own conservation efforts. Whether you are new to the field of conservation or have dedicated your entire life to it, whether you are having a career in this field, you're an employee of the state or federal agencies, or if you work in the private sector, your mastery of wildlife conservation should include a thorough understanding of America's wildlife restoration program. This is the biggest and number one conservation success story. It is the most successful conservation program in history. This program has pumped more than 14 billion with a B dollars into wildlife management, restoration of species, research, monitoring, education, and public access. This is a unique partnership between states, industries, and the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. This is the envy of the world, and it exists because some far-sighted leaders over 85 years ago joined with conservationists and private industry to create the means by which hunters and anglers pay to sustain wildlife populations and their sport. There was a reason for the passage of this historic conservation legislation. The landscape of North America had been unalterably changed by European settlement. Destruction of habitat and unregulated hunting had led to the decline of many game animals. By the late 1800s, concerned hunters, anglers, and conservation pioneers like Teddy Roosevelt recognized the need for regulations that would halt or diminish this unchecked decline. Many state fish and wildlife agencies were established during this era. America's first conservation efforts emphasized harvest restrictions and law enforcement. As the science of wildlife biology emerged, better management practices were introduced. But despite these advances, wildlife continued to decline. Record population lows were reached in the Dust Bowl era of the 1930s. Money from the sale of state hunting and fishing licenses 
just wasn't meeting the need for a national wildlife conservation effort. In that era, sportsmen and conservation leaders also were influential in business and industry, politics, and science. They quickly realized that only a stable source of funds could sustain a national wildlife conservation program. Predecessors of many of today's national nonprofit conservation groups, including the National Wildlife Federation, the National Audubon Society, the Isaac Walton League, and the Wildlife Management Institute, added their support to securing stable funds for wildlife conservation. The world knew Henry Ford as an innovator and industrial genius, but he was also a conservationist. Other industry giants joined forces with conservationists Thomas Edison, John Burroughs, and Henry Ford. The idea of an excise tax on sporting arms and ammunition emerged. The Sporting Arms and Manufacturing Institute, or SAMI, added its support, recognizing that sport hunting couldn't continue without huntable populations of game species. Carl Shoemaker, who was a former Oregon Fish and Game Commission director, conceived legislation to create a 10% manufacturer's excise tax on sporting arms and ammunition. This was for allocation to the states based on an equitable formula. Senator Key Pittman of Nevada and Representative Willis Robertson of Virginia sponsored this bill in the U.S. Congress but not before Robertson added 29 important words to the bill. This is now known as the Diversion Clause. Robertson's language required the states to agree that their hunting license revenue could not be diverted to other alternate uses. That specified the Pittman-Robertson legislation, which passed both houses of Congress with little opposition. These 29 words are, and which shall include a prohibition against the diversion of license fees paid by hunters for any other purpose than the administration of said state fish and game department. What emerged in this Wildlife Restoration Act was a classic user pay, user benefit concept overseen by an unprecedented partnership among businesses and the state and federal levels of government. An excise tax on guns and ammunition reflected in the retail purchase price paid by the consumer is remitted by the manufacturers for wildlife conservation programs distributed and monitored by the federal government and managed by the states. Users pay more for their sporting gear but benefit from the increased hunting opportunities which are created by these funds raised by these excise taxes. This is the first time in history and the only time in history a group of people, hunters, have asked to be taxed for the benefit of their sport. There is a formula which ensures equity in the distribution of money to the states and territories. It's based on 50% of the square mileage of a state's land and inland waters 
in proportion to the national total and 50% on the number of licenses sold yearly in that state, also in proportion to the national total of license sales. No state receives more than 5%, nor less than half of 1% of these total funds. The territories receive a little bit smaller amounts. Wild birds and mammals are eligible for wildlife restoration funding and are the focus of these dollars for restoration and conservation. Other activities such as law enforcement, public relations, and revenue-producing activities do not qualify for this funding. In 1970, the Pittman-Robertson Act was amended to add receipts from handgun sales to the new excise tax roll. In 1972, it was amended again to add most archery equipment and components. With these new expansions, hunter education, firearm safety, bow hunting safety, and shooting ranges all became eligible for funding for the very first time. Today, there are hundreds and hundreds of shooting ranges that are built or maintained with these wildlife restoration funds. There's thousands upon thousands of students trained each year to be safe and responsible through hunter education courses. While the average customer in a sporting goods store may not realize it or have any idea what the Pittman-Robertson Act even is, the purchase of any of these items channel vital money into conservation programs in the user's own backyard. It is a quiet yet effective national conservation success story that has worked well for over 85 years. The way the grants process works is state fish and wildlife agencies apply for apportioned funds through a grants process. States must provide at least 25% of the grant project's costs, often using hunting or fishing license revenues as the match. Payment is made on a cost reimbursement basis after all the work has been completed. This is a genuine partnership. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service manages these grants. Resource management decisions are conducted at the state level. The states determine what kinds of projects meet their own conservation needs. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service doesn't develop or prioritize state projects. It must ensure that all projects are eligible for funding, are cost-effective, and apply sound fish and wildlife science and management principles. Once grants are awarded, the funds must be obligated to projects by the states within two years, or the funds will revert back to the trust fund or the federal migratory bird program. Use of these federal grant funds requires compliance with a number of federal acts, regulations, and executive orders. The acts that require submission of compliance review documents with grant applications include the National Environmental Policy Act, also known as NEPA as well as the Endangered Species Act and the National Historic Preservation Act. The success of these wildlife and sport fish restoration programs prompted an initiative to provide stable funding for species with the greatest conservation need, with priority to those that are not hunted or fished. The effort focused on a possible excise tax on gear used in non-consumptive sports 
and outdoor recreation such as binoculars and field guides. But the effort failed to establish a permanent excise tax similar to those used to benefit game and fish animals. Congress did authorize the Wildlife Conservation and Restoration Program in 2000 to create a new program to benefit game and non-game species. Such a program relies on congressionally approved annual appropriations from the general treasury. While the program still exists, no funding has been made since 2001. There are numerous achievements of the wildlife and sport fish restoration grant programs. In addition to the $14 billion that have been matched with state funds for management, restoration, research, monitoring, education, and access, there are a number of other areas to mention. There's over 10 million students that have been trained in hunter education. Over 7 million hours have been contributed by volunteers to hunter education and safety training nationwide. Over 455 million acres are maintained for wildlife restoration and wildlife recreation nationwide. There's over 3.5 million students who have been trained in aquatic education. Habitat improvements have been made on over 2 million surface acres of reservoirs and lakes. Thousands of pump-out stations, boat access sites, and tie-up facilities have been built. And 300,000 acres have been purchased for species of greatest conservation need. Many of them are non-game animals. These $14 billion that have been matched through a 25% on the state side and the Wildlife Restoration Program provides 75% of that match. These accomplishments have been achieved through accountability. We must remember that the financial resources we hold in trust are to be used for the benefit of wildlife and fish, for the use of hunters, anglers, boaters, and others with a stake in natural resource conservation and for the purposes that a wise and very far-sighted group of leaders originally intended back in the 1930s. State and federal partners must ensure sound administration and oversight of these funds and these activities. It is our responsibility to carry on the legacy of this historic program into the future and throughout the generations. We hold both natural and financial resources in trust for America's hunters and shooters, anglers and boaters, and all of whom have given generously to finance the recovery of wildlife species for future generations. It's a cycle of success that's been achieved through integrity, hard work, and far-sightedness and enlightened management. What starts out as a contribution when you purchase your rifle, shotgun, fishing rod, or even your archery equipment, the dollars that you spend impact and magnify when combined with the contributions of millions of other sportsmen and sportswomen. The cycle of success works where anglers, hunters, boaters purchase their fishing and hunting equipment and motorboat fuel. 
The manufacturers remit this excise tax on that equipment, and boaters pay their fuel taxes. The U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service allocates funds to state fish and wildlife agencies. The states receive the grants. The state agencies implement programs and projects, and you have better fishing, boating, hunting, and wildlife-associated recreation because of this. When you make another trip to the sporting goods store to purchase additional equipment, the cycle of success starts over. The programs developed by the states provide recreation, access, and enjoyment for everyone. As each new generation of young people are introduced to the outdoors, this cycle continues to repeat over and over. Even if you never intend to hunt or fish, you can thank a hunter and an angler for all of their funds and dollars that have gone into conservation to support the habitat of all wildlife that you may enjoy when you're out in nature. Next time you're out on any shooting range, fishing pond, or any sporting goods store and you see either the federal aid and wildlife restoration symbol or the federal aid and sport fish restoration symbol, you know that your excise tax dollars have been hard at work restoring America's wildlife for the benefit of future generations, ensuring that we do have these wild places to roam for generations to come. Because there is no better classroom than the outdoors, roaming the woods and waters, and creating memories that will last a lifetime. This is Heidi Rayo, and you've heard another North American Outdoors podcast. For more information, visit NorthAmericanOutdoors.org and follow me on Instagram at North American Outdoors. Have a great day. Spend your Saturdays with life on the water. Join Captain Brandon Simmons for fishing, diving, travel, and so much more. You want to succeed. You want to fish. You want to be one of the greatest. Oh, look at that thing, dude. Wow. Oh. <laughs> Let's see what kind of trouble we can get into today. Don't miss Life on the Water every Saturday night from 7 to 9 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. <laughs> the destination for outdoor entertainment.